What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your half-year check-in in pop culture today. My name is Pat Sheehan, joined as always by the trusty co-host Dave Martin Swagger. Dave, what's going on, man? Not much right now. That's why we're looking back on 2020. Nothing new going on besides uh, Hamilton, which uh, I don't know if there's much to add to Hamilton at this point. You don't, you don't think we'll have like groundbreaking takes on it, that it's very good? If not uh, historically accurate, I guess. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Anyways, uh, I feel like the fact that we got to this point without having to really have a show that's not talking about current popular culture is pretty good considering the state of pop culture right now. As we're doing a look back on this year, it's kind of hard to uh, talk about anything without mentioning the impact COVID-19 has had on all of us individually, but collectively on pop culture as, you know, an entity, uh, you know, we're going to be talking about our favorite albums, TV shows, movies, and trends of the year so far, but really it's, it's all colored by what's going on in the world outside of pop culture. Yeah, definitely. It's like, there's a post COVID and a pre COVID mm-hmm. spot in my mind for everything I've consumed this year. And I mean, now, I mean, it's hard to remember what it was like before, but I mean, whether there's music with delays due to difficulty to promo, the cancellation of tours just about for a year at this point, um, you know, movies, the pipeline running dry for anything new to come out and the delays of all the major movies that were ready due to obviously concerns about making money at theaters and TV, the same thing, the pipeline running dry as the inability to finish shows that were nearly done, like, say, Fargo season uh, four. You know, mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's affected everything. You know, it's affected people a long, a long time. You know, now you can read about how pre-production processes change and script writing. It's like, well, can we film that uh, with that many people outside or whatever? Um, actually, don't write it that way because we can't film that. You know, like the, the constraints that COVID's having on even creativity is... Uh, uh, obviously pretty unique and on the converse side you have like products of quarantine like say charlie xcx's album that's a good thing but generally it's a lot negative as everyone knows at this point yeah and it, you mentioned the effect it's had on tours and, and concerts and i think that's really the place to, when i think about this year that i start because uh even just recently, a couple weeks from when we're uh, when we're dropping this show, Bonnaroo has canceled its September date, and Coachella is even talking about pushing their uh, festival back to October of next year. The impact that the this global health crisis is having on the music industry and live events in general is pretty significant. I know. The, uh, a lot of people were very concerned about wh- how it's going to affect comedy. You know, how do you have a comedy show and how do you record these comedy shows when you can't have people there? Now, recently we've had Dave Chappelle who uh, had a comedy benefit, very famously dropped after everything going on with George Floyd. And uh, that is, I guess, kind of what things are going to look like now where people are very far apart and it's just reduced capacity and, um, it's it's just a changing environment and to <laughs> it's not not going to feel like normal for a very long time um I, i'm very interested to see what the festival 
scene looks like after the dust has settled on all this because i can only imagine that only the major ones can survive this yeah absolutely and you can even think about how this affects indie musicians and just less mainstream acts that really rely on consistent touring to make a living because that's where the most money is in the industry of course with streaming being a viable but very small part of actual artist earnings you know so it's tough and yeah, I missed the festival vibe, man. Um, <laughs> sucks. Yeah, and just going to concerts in general. You know, I was really looking forward to seeing Rage Against the Machine this summer. Mm. Um, right when everything was shutting down, I was about to buy tickets to go see Blood Orange live. Like, all these concerts I was kind of planning for, and now it's... Uh, I don't even know if I would feel comfortable going to a concert right now. It's going to all look so different in the future. You know, you mentioned, though, that people have been pretty creative in finding ways to capture this moment. You know, you, you mentioned Charlie XCX. And there's been a couple of records that have come out that have really spoken to the effect that COVID and quarantine and social distancing have had on people. Um, you know, we've also kind of seen that with TV, though, as well. Things like Parks and Rec having an episode mm. where they did it all through Zoom. 30 SNL. Rock. Yes, 30 Rock moving to remote snl doing remote shows as well as community um you all know, the late I, night hosts yeah finding the, new ways to stay on great point and there's actually i think i think that's been the place where it's probably easiest to do something like that and all, almost probably easier to get celebrities to come on because they can just do it from their home now instead of having to show up to some place in new york city in the middle of the day or la um but as you said it's uh, it's running dry. So I'm wondering if we're going to start to see more of these sorts of things come out. It's, you know, the, the landscape is very up in the air right now, even as some States move forward. Yeah. It's, it's uh, <laughs> for, for a content perspective for us, it's uh, definitely daunting just because <laughs> you only can do so many pods like this before it's uh, a little fleeting. Um and yeah, I mean, as anyone who's paying attention knows, the constant shuffling of movie release dates, usually with Tenet and Mulan kind of leading the way with that, Wonder Woman as well. Um, there seems to be a lot of stops and starts with the just gearing back up process, let alone actually having people go to the movies again, you know? So mm -hmm. um, it seems like movies are going to be the most affected and TV the medium is fine and Netflix will tell you about how they're thriving and FX on Hulu has been a big success and uh, HBO Max, and Peacock and uh, Peacock's about to drop anyway. And uh, that's all fine and good, but you're going to run out of content soon. So I think it's those, those legacy libraries that are going to keep people subscribed, you know, cause the new stuff we're, we're going to run out of the new stuff pretty soon. Yeah, for sure. And, it, as as the streaming wars continue and forge forward, it almost feels like uh, this is the time when the wars can really heat up because then it's about what do you really got in your reserves, right? So something like HBO Max, where you got this really deep film archive, mm -hmm. is seems even more appealing than you know turning on Netflix, seeing what's kind of rotating through, or flipping on a potentially really bad Netflix movie. As we've seen, there's a lot of those this year. Um, with some really good ones mixed in, which we'll be talking about. You mentioned that movies have probably been the most affected. I mean, what movies have we not seen because of this? There's a pretty long list, I'm fairly certain. So many. <laughs> so 
uh, this is this is airing on July sixth. So by July sixth, we we should have been able to see Quiet Place Part Two, Mulan, Black Widow, Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four, The Woman in the Window, Personal History of David Copperfield, The Green Knight, No Time to Die, Fast Nine, Top Gun Maverick, as well as a bunch of other ones that I'm sure people have in mind as well. Uh, Free Guy, Brian Reynolds. Like, there's been a ton, and ridiculous really and, t- and tenant of course was in a normal world only about to be what i think two weeks away at this point you know uh french dis- you know, dispatch a couple weeks away that's right french dispatch was originally november <laughs> oh geez yeah it's uh it's it's been nuts and, and you see the impact it has on uh movies of all sizes too there's been a lot of movies that had their theatrical release plans completely canned and they went to vod like king staten island uh, or something like The Lovebirds, which Paramount can theatrical release and just sold to Netflix. Just got it out the door, got rid of it. Mm-hmm. Um, kids movies too, stuff like Scoob, um, SpongeBob movie that's coming up. You know, it, it, it's happened really for everything. Um, and it's kind of, I think it's, it's kind of driving home the, the, the shift we've been seeing where it's becoming less and less viable for non-big budget IP films at the box office unless they're made on a very strict budget. And movies like traditional romantic comedies or normal comedies that just continue to not really do well at the box office, you know, all these studios get to kind of test out what is the appetite for these movies if we just go straight to VOD and if we, you know, we've seen a lot of uh, increases in price and, and staggering of prices and uh, a lot of da- a lot of data points are being learned right now, even if it's a captive audience. So, um, I think we're going to see lasting effects too once people can go to theaters again. Man, just thinking about all these movies we've missed and how you know it's going to be impacted moving forward. Like Tenant recently being pushed back to August, uh, even that seems skeptical to me. And I just want to know when we're going to be able to see these awesome films we were looking forward to, you know, refer back to the films that we uh, were most excited for in 2020 for a bit of a laugh. Cause I think we're only going to get maybe half of them. You know, uh, at this point. Yeah. Our, our Oscars pod is hilarious at this point. Obviously Oscars were pushed back, but we're talking about a lot of movies that uh, so, some of them were pushed to 2021 anyway, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it's just, it's just completely out of date yeah. <laughs> discussion. It's in how fast that aged. It's, it's crazy. And, you know, even thinking about a movie like Tenet, Wonder Woman, you really need to feel secure after making an investment like that, um, that you're going to be able to get close to or make a profit off that. And I don't know when movie theaters are even going to be in a position where someone can say a traditional box office weekend can do can provide that. It's just the numbers mm-hmm. are forever going to be a, an issue. So. I will say one development that I am happy about circumstances uh independent of course would be the 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 rise of drive-in movie theaters once again they see it seems to be a quite viable business for the the drive-ins that are still open and if you go on box office mojo or any of the other sites you can look at the movies that have been like making money at like you know a hundred drive hundred something drive-ins we have in the u.s and it's just kind of cool to see uh that business kind of come roaring back and there's even been controversy around it too, where King of Staten Island wasn't actually at any drive-ins after drive-ins expecting to be able to show and stuff like that. So, I mean, drive-ins are good. 
So that that's cool with me. Yeah, I, I dig drive-ins, but I also dig quite a few of the movies that have been released this year. So what are some of the movies, or why don't you start off by throwing out one or two movies that you've really enjoyed that are at the top of your list so far this year? So Okay, so right at the top of my list would be First Cow, which is a movie that A24 had just really started rolling out right when quarantine happened. So I know not a lot of people have really seen it at all outside of a few major cities, and A24 is keeping everything and will re-push all their movies in theaters when they can. That's why The Green Knight has not come up VOD, for example. So First Cow, everyone got to see that soon, but that's a movie that uh, really blew me away, Kelly Riker film, and uh, you know we have reviews for everything we're going to talk about, so you can always check those out for in-depth. I think First Cow is something just to keep, keep back on your radar for when it's uh, going to inevitably be in theaters again. Yeah, I, I guess I just find it hard to feel like when theaters back, open back up, I'm like, first cow, you know, I'm going to be looking for like Tenet or something big, but yeah, definitely, definitely on my list It'll be to in watch. the fall sometime. You know, top of my list, uh, movie, again, we talked about twice on the pod. You did a solo review one time, then when I finally got around to it, when I dropped on Hulu, we talked about it. Portrait of a Lady on Fire, um, just a absolutely crackling portrayal of uh, – female love you know towards each other this this romance uh kind of in this period piece that's mm-hmm. uh a film i was not really prepared to like as much as i did only because i really do not jive with period pieces but this got me because it's just undeniable the chemistry between mm-hmm. uh naomi merlant and adele hanel yeah is was really special in that movie and portrait uh yeah, man. Portrait Portrait came out so long ago too. That came out on Hulu, I believe, on uh Valentine's Day ish time. Yeah. I was able to see in the theaters a little before that, but Oh man, yeah. That's so funny because Portrait didn't get the quarantine like promo almost because yeah. it came out on VOD or Hulu right before that, right? right. No, that's funny. Um Yeah, it's a, that's an interesting movie, of course, because it was on last year's Oscar. Uh runs and stuff and uh, notably was not nominated for best international film due to the french uh picking name as robin said for some reason um so it's kind of weird that like for, for all intents and purposes it's a 2020 movie the wide majority of people in the u.s are seeing it this year yet it was already kind of like submitted last year so yep. that happens sometimes but yeah that movie rules yeah it's on hulu check it out uh we're gonna be talking i think quite a bit about who shows on hulu in a second so if you're not subscribed to hulu this might be a good time to do so what else you got on your list? Uh, yeah, so I think this is probably one of those movies I first think of of getting the VOD push would be Never Really, Sometimes, Always. Yep. It's a really obviously small, lower profile film that is about a young woman uh, going through great lengths to get an abortion and the emotional and physical trauma that entails. Another really, really well done movie that uh, is tough not to have an emotional reaction to when you watch. And I know that that was put out by Focus. I'm not sure if it still costs 20 to rent. It might be less at this point. Um, but that was that was actually one of the movies that got feet really cut off by quarantine. It was just starting to begin a uh, limited release. But yeah, yeah, that's a great movie. Yeah, uh, Eliza Hittman directing that, and then Sydney Flanagan and and uh, Talia Ryder in their first mm-hmm. real roles. Just marvelous performances you know similarly uh, uh i guess a movie i, I kind of see in the same vein for the leads being in the same age range is baby teeth the movie we talked about recently 
um, the debut from Shannon Murphy, uh, Eliza Scanlon, Ben Mendelson, Easy Davis, Toby Wallace. We, I mean, check out our review. It's very, we, we talked about it very recently, but man, uh, I, I keep thinking back to some of the visuals in this, some mm-hmm. of the moments, Mendelssohn just in general, I, I think I said on the pod, probably my favorite Mendelssohn performance. And then I look back and realized the outsider also came out this year. I was like, Oh, maybe that's my favorite Mendelssohn performance. I feel like he's having a pretty good year, you know, kind of breaking out of that role as always the bad guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the, not much else to say on baby teeth other than it's, it's really a wonderful and, and enjoyable film, even though it's about a teenager dying. Probably the best example of the stark uh, visuals you associate with uh, new filmmakers and indie film and stuff. Yeah, definitely sure. worth the rent. That, that's also a, 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 a normal price, so easy to watch. What else you got, Dave? Uh, yeah, so similar vein, I honestly would be, I think, Tiger Tail on Netflix, Alan mm. Yang's debut feature. Obviously, Alan Yang's a bit more well-known due to his work with uh, Aziz Ansari and Forever and Parks and all that, but I think Tiger Tail, it, it's definitely a movie that you can see the influences and the homage it's paying, but that doesn't at least to me, take away from, I think, the emotional effects it has and, and, and the attention to detail I also really appreciate about it. You know, it's a, uh, I think, a qu- quite a moving story about, uh, about Asian life. Yeah, no, I agree. Tiger Tail's fantastic. You know, what I, what I think is funny about those, the three movies you just mentioned in a row, they're pretty heavy, you know, in different ways. Like, they're all about grief and loss and sacrifice and i think it's um i think it's really interesting that that's been a bit of a theme in a year when uh it seems like the world is dealing with that in in a sense so um all three of those movies are great another movie that i think is a little more hopeful and triumphant is crip camp the documentary dropped on netflix this year talking about um disability uh the disability revolution and mm-hmm. kind of the fight that these activists and, and young people back in the 70s had fighting for the rights of disabled people and um really just a, a well-made documentary um I, I believe it won uh academy award i think uh, if i'm remembering correctly uh, no, it wasn't nominated uh, that's that's for this upcoming year okay but i think it so, won something at sundance yeah that's what it was it was something at sundance um you know, produced by Obama's production company. Um, just a really, I think, uplifting story. Um, and also, I think, a good reminder as we are in a, in a pl- uh, political and cultural point where I think people are more aware of the lack of equality and, and equity in, for all people in our communities, um, that the fight doesn't really end. That it, it's ongoing and progress is good, but mm-hmm. there's always more to be done. Uh, so I, I find that to be a very encapsulating film for this year. What else is on your list? Uh, yeah, so I think Shirley uh, on Hulu, starring Elizabeth Moss. Uh, obviously a bit of a biopic, but also has that kind of indie flourish in terms of visuals and uh, the way it communicates uh, action and stuff. Yeah. Uh, I think it, it, it's probably not everyone's cup of tea, just the way the, the story it tells. But again, kind of similar to Baby Teeth in terms of you can kind of get like more like capital F filmmaker stuff going on if you watch mm-hmm. that. Yeah, uh, that that portrayal of Shirley 
uh, Shirley Jackson is just very trippy and uh, Elizabeth Moss is electric on screen. We also talked about King of Staten Island recently, Judd Apatow's new film with, with Pete Davidson, who uh, also had another film, Big Time Adolescence, where I think we were impressed with his turn. And uh, I think it just solidifies that Pete is meant to be, you know, on the big screen. Uh, the the bit roles and the variety show format maybe isn't really where he thrives. And him and Bill Burr are just great in this. You know, uh, it, it's apatow in a lot of ways, maybe a little long, could have been condensed, a couple of moments that maybe could have been cut out or didn't make sense. But overall, really enjoyable film, really funny and again, you get Burr and Pete Davidson, one of the most solidified uh, co- comedians in the game right. and one of the best up-and-coming ones really on their A-game. So worth the watch, worth the 20 bucks. Yeah, definitely. Uh, also, just two, two other smaller films that came out before quarantine. Uh, the Assistant, which came out what, January, February, I forget now, which stars Julia Garner. It's a, it's a Me Too film that is is told in a really compelling way because it's um it's not actually about exposing someone it's about the terror that working under a menace like that effect, uh, has yep. on everyone and uh, that, that, that really great honestly um and then emma you know uh jane austen not a mm-hmm. nothing new there but on on a anya taylor joy is uh pretty pretty good i guess and autumn to wild another like kind of rising filmmaker has that flourish and stuff so if you you know period pieces not exactly pat's cup of tea but you know the costume drama stuff uh this is this is pretty good for that so emma you can rent that one as well and then i think we have to mention the uh the one behind you dave defy bloods from uh spike Spike Lee, his newest joint. Um, yeah, Delroy Lindo showing out. Uh, it's our longest review this year. Well, a lot to say on it. There's a lot of themes, great performances, a lot of spike going on. It's, it's really wonderful. Yeah, I feel like I'm still processing it. It's one of those movies that you really end up just kind of chewing on for a while. Mm-hmm. So check it out. It's, it's on Netflix. Everybody's got Netflix. Go watch it. Um, Dave, one movie that you thought was worse than you expected most disappointing or that you just really want to like bag on real quick uh so artemis fowl is abjectly (laughs) terrible in ways that honestly defy comprehension i actually did read most of those books as a kid and it's kind of unrecognizable what happened to that um what like nine percent on rotten tomatoes like you gotta try to get that much consensus in the negative <laughs> um, man yeah and, well, and that, that one's easy to rag on a lot of people kind of saw this coming and stuff and mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe we'll feel this way about new mutants if it does in fact come out in a oh, few months God. tbd uh also i was on a more serious note i i was quite disappointed in the last thing he wanted hmm. you know, had, had all the trappings of uh cast and filmmaker that i liked yet it it's really quite a quite a mess of a film. Watch yeah. Network, same way. You know, it's it's funny because I almost feel bad bringing this one up. Uh, check out our review of Capone, mm. man. I mean, it, with Josh Trank and and the production issues that kind of came with this as well. You know, kind of being pushed back and all these different parts. It was already probably going to be bad, but to get what we got, 
uh, I mean, talk about a, sh- a shit show, literally in some ways. And uh, yeah, Tom Hardy, man, like, I don't know, just a very strange portrayal, like, and, and intelligible at points. Like, that's the thing. You just don't even know what they're saying half the time. Bad. Yeah. Not, I mean, not Tom good. Hardy as Capone sounds good on paper if it's like Capone is, uh, is prime, not Capone losing his mind. Uh, yeah. It's, but in a sense, it's kind of the perfect Tom Hardy role. He loves this shit. Yeah. So, get the money, I guess. <laughs> Why don't we uh, move on to TV, though? Probably the medium that's been least impacted in terms of output so far. By COVID. Yeah. Now, that probably will not be the case in the future. That will probably end up being music, I'd imagine. But yeah. I'd say a pretty strong year for TV up to this point. I have quite a few shows written down here, Um, but it's funny because I also have a lot more shows that I'm very disappointed by. So I definitely want to spend some time talking about that. Um, Why don't we start though? I think with the shows that we enjoyed the most so far in in 2020 start of the decade, what what do you got? What's at the top of your list? Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of obvious ones that have kind of universal acclaim probably none other than better call saul yeah. season five right mm-hmm. which truly united better call saul and breaking bad the prequel meets the sequel the original um in amazing ways Reese horn fantastic once again tony dalton as lalo iconic villain already like there's just it, it was just such a great season and it's really rewarding to everyone that has watched Better Call Saul to this point. And, you know, it's going to be a while before we get that final season. I'd imagine 2022 at best at this point, but um, highly anticipated for sure. Thinking back to that scene where Lalo comes to Jimmy's apartment when, uh, when they're right. all there and confronts them and the tension in that scene as it go, it cuts back to like Mike with the sniper rifle and you know Rhea Seahorn stepping in, into the shot. Uh, oh, it's just so so well done. The tension's incredible in that show. Uh, you're right, totally critically acclaimed. Um, you know, I think another show that is pretty widely said at this point to be one of the best on TV is Insecure. Um, we just discussed it, and I really enjoyed the fourth season of this. Um, I think the one critique that we had in that review was just that I think sometimes it can feel like they're running back the same patterns of, of the relationships on the show. But I think you actually start to see some of them mature and start to move forward a little bit more this season, especially the relationship between Issa and Lawrence. Um, just uh, always fun. And there's the, the moments on this show, you know, whether it's them dancing to Vince Staples um, or watching the big fat bodyguard clap his cheeks while he's hey, you know, hey. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's just so many things just stand out about the show. So it's definitely Dola virus, man. SMH. <laughs> oh God, what else are, or have you been digging so far on TV this year? Uh, yeah, so most of these shows at the top of my list are are uh, complete, but one that's in progress. I've only seen I think four episodes at this point would be. I May Destroy You on HBO from mm. Michaela Cole, which we'll be talking about the season full when that concludes in August, but is a show that handles really serious subject matter, namely sexual assault, in really impressive ways, the way it juggles tone and 
uh, you know, supporting characters and whatnot. It's a really impressive show and the kind of the true coming out party for someone who's already recognized as quite talented, Michaela Cole, you know, mm-hmm. as the uh, showrunner or creator and writer as well as the lead. So yeah, that's a, I, you know, that's a special show to have as like one of the few things you're watching on HBO in the summer when it's usually a leaner time period for mm-hmm. the network. So uh, yeah, that, that one is uh, better than I could have imagined. Yeah, completely agree. And why don't we stay in HBO right now? Because I have a couple of HBO shows that have really stood out to me this year. The Plot Against America, David Simon's uh, four-episode miniseries. Six. Uh, Six-episode miniseries, sorry. Uh, talking about the uh, well, you know, alternate history, basically, if Lindenberg had beat FDR for... Lindenberg. You love adding that in. Yeah. Oh, it's just Lindenberg. Lindenberg. Yep. Uh, yeah, I don't know why novel, I of course. Um, and just uh, Simon, I think, just had a peak of his powers. He, he's been craft, you know, crafting these worlds since you know The Wire, maybe even before that. But that's really where he got his first notice. And he just continues to churn out these these awesome tales that really build out place and time and emotion. Uh, I think back to the, the I think second to last episode might have even been the last when they go to get the the neighbor's son from mm-hmm. Kentucky and uh, driving back through the the back roads. It's that the tension, the anxiety, the pain you feel watching those scenes is just uh, incredible. So shout out to David Simon, and then Betty on HBO, Dave. Which I, I want to actually give you the floor with a little bit because I think you uh, I think you have a little bit more to say about it because you, you saw skate kitchen and the, uh, the, you can compare those two where I haven't been able to see it yet. Yeah. So that's based off of skate kitchen, a 2018 indie film. That was, I believe neon it's on Hulu now about a fictional film about real life skate troupe, female skate troupe in New York that uh, you have these, these, these young women playing fictional versions of themselves and the show is kind of a, continuation of that not a direct sequel and Betty only six episodes thankfully renewed for season two very exciting but it's a show that has actually a lot to it because it's a great New York show hang show you're just kind of in lower Manhattan for most of it watching real New Yorkers hang out and do shit Mm -hmm. you know and that's great it also shows lots of good skateboarding because all these women are good skaters first after second you know yeah. they have great chemistry as a result and it does handle uh you know a, a heavier a heavier theme here and there um i'm hoping we get maybe a little deeper in the next season maybe we get more episodes as well but you know stuff with uh identity and uh, uh race there's, there's, there's a lot there's a lot, a lot a lot of depth to those themes you know even if they kind of come and go of course sexual um assault and the murkiness that can follow when stuff's not as cut and dry as say a Harvey Weinstein you know there, there was a lot of uh, lot under the hood with Betty that I was quite impressed with but so yeah I would recommend that show I still really recommend Skate Kitchen as well and I'm really thankful that it's been renewed absolutely uh, I kind of put you on the spot there what what other shows are uh, you digging right now or that you did you dig this year uh, well two, two pre pre-corona shows on HBO as well that I like the outsider. Yes. Uh, that, that, that was a more, uh, you know, kind of obvious appealing thing. You have Richard price, you have 
Ben Mendelsohn's in the Arrivo. You have like all these like classic parts to an HBO drama, this mystery, obviously based off of Stephen King property. And it's done really well, you know? And I think maybe if like the, the mystery, how that unfolds or doesn't unfold at the end might disappoint some. But for me, that was really all about the vibe it establishes from the start and the way the characters interact with that and you know, their emotions and whatnot. So The Outsider is still a really strong show. Absolutely. And on the other side of that, we have uh, The New Pope, a highly anticipated show, a sequel, spinoff sequel, really sequel to The Young Pope, a show we both really adored. And then uh, The New Pope is quite interesting because you have Jude Law uh, as Lenny, the lead of The Young Pope, effectively sidelined or put to the, uh, the, back, the back burner for most of the season and we're left with John Malkovich's uh, yeah. Brannock's character as well, who's definitely of a different speed, let's say, than uh, Lenny. And I still really like like this season, even if it wasn't as good as The Young Pope. Because, you know, when Lenny comes back into the fold, it's just such an electric experience yeah. because it's really one of Jude Law's best performances. And that's also a show that Paolo Sorrentino has a lot of visual flourish, really great settings. Mm-hmm. There's so, uh, honestly, really eclectic supporting cast. I really like the stuff we got with the nuns this time and yeah. the changing uh, title sequence every episode yes. with them raving and dancing and shit. Um, even if it's not quite as good as the, the first the first season, it's still really cool and unlike just about anything else you watch. And Paolo has mentioned that he has ideas for a third season in some form. So I, I really hope it. we get that because if he wants to do it, let's get it. It's uh, the episode where Jude Law wakes up from the coma and then the title sequence goes back to the one the song from the first season uh, yeah. all along the watchtower. And it, right. just him walking the uh, the Speedo. It's just such a awesome moment and change up electric uh yeah hbo uh, as always putting out some really really strong content but like i mentioned so is fx on hulu right now man and i have a couple of shows from here i wanted to shout out um what we do in the shadows is mm-hmm. uh probably the funniest show on tv right now yeah. um uh, obviously based on the um take and jermaine clement movie from but six years ago yeah years 16 ago, something. 15 something like that something yeah like that. um i mean matthew barry might be might have given the my favorite comedy performance on tv this year uh, especially as uh, jackie daytona i i would go back and watch that show that episode anytime uh, there's not really even that much more to say about it other than like every single episode i found myself like bursting out into laughter multiple times so you have to watch that yeah and then uh, a couple others, uh, FX on Hulu. Uh, Mrs. America. Dave, is this, would this one have made your list? Oh, of course. Yeah, I think I have this at like number three right now. You mentioned with Crip Camp how uh, that doc manages to weave in historical context and, and teachable moments, weaves that in with the progress that still needs to be made in the current day. Mrs. Mm-hmm. America also does that at its end as well. Yeah. And Miss America, through nine episodes, is really just kind of a tour de force through second wave feminism in the 70s. You have all these different characters played by really all world-class actors, more or less. And even though it's centered on Phyllis Schlafly and not someone more desirable, like, say, Gloria Steinem or Bella Abzug or something, you're mm-hmm. still getting all this history 
and just about everything you're seeing is accurate and it's how it's happening. I mean, all these historic figures and it's a great show to like watch an episode and then read the slate piece about or read Wikipedia about because it's really informative. I think it's a lot, it's an important history that not everyone really knows all that much about either. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and like Plot Against America, you can watch this show and see unfortunate parallels to our moment today because mm-hmm. Mrs. America, of course, really highlights how uh, the modern conservative movement uh, came to be. So. Yeah really really special and it's Kate Blanchett you know coming to television uh, that's, that's that's the peak of uh the benefit of peak tv is that you can get world-class movie actors to do these mini series that are low commitment and really elevate the shows as a result yeah and I, I think it, it does a really good job obviously Kate Blanchett is the driving force but of kind of passing the ball around and giving all these big female stars their moments, right? You know, whether it's Sarah Paulson getting an episode near the end of the season, Rose Byrne as Gloria Steinem getting an episode, um, Margot Martindale getting an episode centering around her, Elizabeth Banks, like they all got a turn to shine, which I, uh, I think is really impressive when you're diving into so much content, have so much talent to find a way to share the, the screen. Um, lastly, the last FX show I had that I really wanted to shout out, Devs. I guess, no, I guess there's two more. Devs is the first one. Um, you know, uh, it's just stunning to think, like, as I think about it, I think about the visuals more so than I think even the plot of the show. Because when you think about that incubator and what Devs was and the images you saw on screen, and even if it doesn't really, like, make a lot of sense in terms of like how does how does this thing actually work or how would that like what's the science behind this mm-hmm. seeing things like you know christ on the cross um you know marilyn monroe having sex with uh, i forgot who it was but dimaggio like, maybe yeah it was something like that like those moments you're just like holy shit like this is like wild to like see these visuals and then have it kind of encapsulated in this show that is really thoughtful man just uh alex right. garland crushing it you know everything he does is visually captivating yeah and i think what makes dev so special is obviously it had alex garland doing a tv show following up x minor annihilation that's really exciting but the reason it's exciting goes beyond the visual talent he has as a director because garland as a sci-fi auteur just has interest in themes i think that matter more you know, he's not about solving the mystery. It, it, Devs is effectively the anti-Westworld because it's actually about real themes and, and the way the show is orchestrated is around the themes and the plot is almost secondary. And to some, that is in fact a turnoff. That's okay. But Garland, even on his weaker stuff, just knows how to shoot his shot, I think, in a way that really is thought-provoking. Mm. And there's just... It's something that can actually sit with you, even if you don't like love where the plot went, you know? So yeah. I think Devs is quite special. Shout out to Nick Offerman and Allison Pill, because I, I think they give really great, even if muted performances, although Offerman gets to do a little bit more with some of the flashbacks, but right. uh, just really, really strong. Uh, definitely check out Devs and check out Normal People, which I think, you know, if you want to talk about a show that really thrives with COVID and, and people moving to the stay at home orders and quarantine, it might've been normal people. Cause that came out kind of when things were starting up, uh, people were home looking for something to watch and normal people really encapsulates this relationship of this 
really truly hideous looking girl and this very normal boy oh my and God. <laughs> no i mean it's i think it does a good job of encapsulating these uh, real back and forth relationship and these two people who are obviously dealing with a lot of pain trauma uh self self-loathing and finding peace and growth within each other it's a really beautiful story if if not frustrating at times uh would i think this is on your list i see it in your background yeah normal <laughs> people is right at the top for me i just found the whole show incredibly captivating and that relationship just so easy to invest in and part of that goes i think with paul mescal and daisy edgar jones just completely bursting onto the scene star making performances they have incredible chemistry they're great actors and they really sell it um mm-hmm. you also have kind of wildly good settings and stuff we don't just stick around in uh you know more suburban ireland we do move around throughout europe and in italy stuff in particular it's like a really nice like visual change of pace um but yeah just thematically i really connected with it and i haven't read the sally rooney book a lot of people like to remind us that normal people is based on a book in the comments on our review um I just say like no shit. It's based on a book, like everything these days. Um, <laughs> it's not a TV show, Dave. It's a book adaptation yeah. made into oh TV episodes. And it's funny because Hulu did just confirm that uh, we are kind of knew this, but they did officially announce that Sally Rooney's first book, A Conversation with Friends, is also being developed largely by the same team. And I know some of the book fans of normal people I have reached out to those that I know uh, pointed out some things that you wouldn't be aware of if you didn't read the book and the way the show's narrative works. But for me, not having any experience to the book, I think it's like really fantastic season. And yeah, uh, it, it's one of those, like, it's like a, it's, it's a mini series, I guess. It's going to one season show and mm-hmm. you're just so invested in the relationship and you want to see it succeed. Yes. And when things happen uh, in unappealing fashion, it like affects you. And I think that's kind of the, that's how you know it's working. So, right. I was really, actually going to, really fantastic. I was going to echo that um, because a lot of the feedback we've gotten is, you know, uh, that maybe I, I should go back and rewatch because I had some nitpicks with the show upon our review. And I think on reflection, the fact that these things made me feel so frustrated when they didn't work out, or I felt like, why couldn't they just have made that? that that decision differently so that they could have been together it's because i i was invested in these characters and rooting for them and i think the show does a really good job even though it probably follows connell for 70 percent of it or maybe like 65 of growing out these characters and why they might make the decisions they make even if sometimes i don't agree with it or i think they might have gone a different way you are totally sucked in and you buy into them and like you said uh connell and miriam uh, Daisy Edgar Jones and Paul Mescal, just uh, total stars. Um, and this this is gonna probably be the thing that puts them on the map. So shout out to them. You know, they aren't my favorite TV characters from from this year, though. Who who would you say is like your favorite performance on TV this year? Oh, that's a good one. Um, maybe Kate Blanchett. Really great. You mentioned Offerman. That's a good one. I think Michaela uh, Cole is a good one. I think you're missing a major one. I would say uh, Zoe Kravitz on High Fidelity. Another one mm-hmm. I really enjoyed. Um, but yeah, what, what are you going with? Tony from Survivor 40. 
<laughs> Tony True. giving the best survivor performance of worthy. all time. Yeah. Uh, spy nests, uh, just running the show, never getting a vote cast survivor. All star. Unbelievable. Yeah. It was just like, uh, a revelation you know missing sports and having that as something to look forward to on wednesday to talk, think strategy you know mm-hmm. have physical yeah, challenges no fantasy really to cool. play yeah so it, it really filled a void tony was awesome this season very entertaining just a great season in general you know i, I think some aspects of it didn't totally work like the coins and fucking fire tokens yeah, what fire waste. tokens uh and even the, the exile island although it did kind of have a, a interesting run near the end to shake things up a little bit um i thought that was great we do have a, a bottom three characters on tv list this season we have uh it, it, i don't think we've, we've decided the order but these three are just the bottom bitches for us uh sandy from plot against america just a really hateable uh teenage yep. character kind of the, the epitome of shitty kid on tv you know it, it's it's a common uh arc, unintentional archetype but we know it well at this point and sandy really fits yeah, he came around a little bit at the end. but He's at least man. redeemable because he's young. Right. Unlike the exactly. other two, I'd say. We have Jamie from Normal People who, just detestable. Like, that, yeah, just I a... think he's one absolute piece of <laughs> shit. You know, he'd be the one on Twitter right now that'd be like, um, that wasn't actually a noose, Bubba. It doesn't have the right uh, number of knots to qualify as a noose. You know, he'd be like one of those well-actually people yeah, in he's... terms of activism. I think he's a total all lives matter douchebag. Um, and then we have Bambi who uh baby from uh betty on hbo just a major fuck boy dude yeah. just camille super nice why well, gotta yeah. be a dick there he's also just... good at skating asshole <laughs> total asshole a uh, couple of shows that disappointed you let's let's go through those kind of quickly <laughs> well um i have an obvious one that i'll get to but i think one of the i think genuine disappointments for just about everyone has got to be space force on netflix yeah. steve carell and greg daniels reuniting steve carell's return to comedy comedy tv um wasn't funny it, it just wasn't funny yeah and yeah. it's probably the product of something that was came out way too soon like they, they effectively announced the show was greenlit at netflix very soon after we knew space force you know in, in the u.s military existed mm-hmm. um so i maybe that's it but there's a lot of good parts to it you know and no season two officially announced i'm sure it's gonna happen because it was watched a lot so yeah, I, I don't see anyone could find that uh, anything but disappointing. I also was disappointed in uh, Run. Yeah, that was you know, my number so one. Definitely has a lot of like ways that it would skirt convention in terms of the kind of show it was. And you have two appealing leads and Donald Gleason and Merritt Weaver. Merritt Weaver in particular is really shining in this, mm-hmm. but it, it, it really ultimately failed to tell you what to invest in and what kind of show it was supposed to be. And ultimately wastes a really funny supporting turn from Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Yeah. Uh, really just a huge miss. That was my number one disappointment as well as homecoming season two. Yeah. You know, um, we really like because it's bad. It's just, no. it wasn't as high as season one. And I think, right. uh, you know, you obviously lose Julia Roberts, but he still has Stephen James, Jean Monet jumping in. And I think just the themes it was going for and the, the season structure in general, just didn't really work that well so very disappointing kind of retreads similar ground just the diminishing returns um and and then i just wanted to point out two prestige shows that uh really just continue on the downward trend for me killing eve um man from to go from that season one to this season but it's the truth yeah it's it's awful and then 
Westworld. Uh, Obvious. Continues to be the biggest flop for me on television. It's um, terrible. Yeah, there's just nothing worth investing in when you spend this much money on a show for all the CGI. Like, right. But like, I don't know. It's something that it, it's so like up its own ass about yeah. what it thinks is really deep themes and it's just not the case. Yep. <laughs> you don't tell a story in a in uh, nebulous, mysterious way just to do it that way. You should have a reason. They never dem- demonstrated any reason to invest in that. And Aaron Paul's you know, coming to the show and we're, we're switching seasons, we're getting away from the park. There's all these appealing on the surface changes to the show that might have suggested a course correction. But no, the, uh, the, the frame of storytelling is still really, uh, really poor. Yeah, but Dave, what if everybody's just a robot? Uh, did you ever think about that? That you're with your big brain, your galaxy brain? Ah, Westworld, enough time with that. Uh, TV, still very good this year. And music as well, I think, is having a really strong year. Ooh, the duo background. I can't wait to talk about her. Um, you know, I, I was kind of working backwards, just making sure I didn't miss any albums. And I just kind of found myself throwing another one on there that I wanted to mention, throwing mm-hmm. another one on there I wanted to mention. This is a really strong year. And I, I really didn't put down a lot of like the up and coming rappers and hip-hop artists we've been reviewing who will hopefully be announced soon for xxl freshmen um because there is just so many of them that to like pull one out from all of them i feel like they've all put out pretty quality albums mm-hmm. so uh maybe you put a couple on there we can highlight but i wanted to kick off this conversation with two rap albums that can't come out recently from very established artists uh run the jewels four and mm-hmm. Freddie Gibbs Alfredo, which for hip hop albums this year and, and rap albums, those are probably my top two, I have to say. What about you? Yeah, I think so. They're kind of like objectively excellent. It's really hard to argue against them. And Run the Jewels 4, despite being largely recorded ahead of, uh, I think completely recorded ahead of, ahead of the current moment, is something that came at the perfect time and, and really spoke. I think in, in, in a meaningful way about stuff, you know, there has been a wave of protest music to in hip hop. A lot of it's a bit more surface level, but run the jewels. You know, I think largely because killer Mike is a bit more involved in politics than anyone else in music. Um, they do have a lot to say and it also is going to hit hard and be in your face. Like all run the jewels music is. So that's really good. And Freddie Gibbs, I mean, he basically can out rap anyone and he did it again with the alchemist this time, just like he did with Mad Lib last year. Yeah, for both of those to be released, like I think two weeks or so apart, right. and then run the jewels to capture a moment so much and feel so of what's happening right now, and then Freddie Gibbs, I think Alfredo to feel almost like a bit timeless. Like it, it really feels like it could have been dropped ten years ago, five years ago, maybe even like twenty years ago, and it would have felt just uh, fine. It would have felt just as good. So really impressive. Uh, both of those albums. What else has made your best of music list so far? Uh, yeah, so I, like you, I feel like I have a lot I added. You know, I was do I actually did some kind of like top level looking at the the info uh, on this year so far, and it's funny. Um, Hip hop, as as we know, does dominate the industry, particularly streaming, and you can look no further than just like the number one album in the country each week. Um, the weekend was number one album for four mm. weeks, uh, basically all of April. We can talk about him in a second. If we discount the weekend's four weeks, 
there were only six other weeks this year where the number one album in the country was not a rap album. Wow. Harry Styles, the first week of the year, which is an old album. Then we have one week each for Selena, Bieber, BTS, Kenny Chesney, and Lady Gaga. Everybody wow. else was a rapper. Only one of those is good, too. That's I know. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> um, and then I was looking at the, you know, the number one song in the country, which is something that obviously the stands love to talk about. Go at chart data. You can get into that if you want. But we, we, we had a lot of like records being set with new number ones every single week, basically, for this long stretch of time. And uh, we basically had an eight-week run where we had a new number one song in the country each week it's kind of nuts but nothing seemed to like hold that spot like we had the box dominate for 11 weeks we had blinding lights for four weeks two songs from last year by the way uh other than that we had the baby's rock star just recently two number two weeks at number one everything else just one week so it, it's kind of weird i wonder if this is probably a quarantine or just the way streaming has continued to take over where uh artists can only really push to the number one spot and they're going to fall back like say so and savage and Tusi slide of you know yeah. uh, rain on me etc you know it's kind of interesting to see how that's changed yeah that that is really interesting uh, i don't know if I, I guess reflecting on my own listening i don't feel like there's a difference i actually just feel like i'm listening to more music now because i feel like uh when i'm at my office i don't usually find myself like throwing something on spotify but now i'm mm-hmm. home i'll throw a playlist on throw an album on something right. along those lines i think it is also important to note literally every song i think that hit number one this year with the exception of maybe stuck with you from bieber and ari every one of these songs is a major tiktok uh <laughs> hit yeah with a <laughs> and i think tiktok is a big part of music now you can read about the rising costs that it takes to promote music on tiktok now there's a great rolling article about that but TikTok does seem to be driving overall consumption and overall chart success, you know, and not, TikTok is not new really by any stretch. And we've talked about it before, but I think it truly got to the center of mainstream attention in quarantine. And For sure. It certainly is affecting uh, everything else. Yeah. People just on their phones more, man. And, uh, gotta pass the time somehow. Uh, by the way, follow Dave on TikTok. He puts out some, some good content on there sometimes. Was it at Dave Martinson? Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Follow him. <laughs> um, so we talked about those two rap albums. You know, I, I think it only makes sense because you brought them up to talk about The weekend real quick. After Hours dropped what, back in that March? Yeah, Jeez, end, of, March yeah. end of February. Basically right when quarantine started. Yeah, it was the end of, end of March. And man, uh, I think we both really liked this because it felt like the weekend blending that dark, that dark side of himself with the poppy side he's been trying to adopt. And uh-huh. I think it, he was finally able to fuse that in a way that felt very genuine. The music is glimmery and glitzy while also being kind of uh, harrowing and disturbing at times. And this whole like vibe that he took on with this, you know, the glasses, the bloody cut up Mm -hmm. face, the big Afro, it's, it really just all works for him. It feels like this is the weekend at his apex. Yeah, definitely. It's clearly his best work to date because it's the truly, I think perfect union of what we want 
the weekend to do. And like you said, we have these dark lights off music, Lothario nature that we know is the, throughout all the weekend's music, everything that's so hedonist about his, his lyrics. Right. And like you said, we're combining that with the more pop sensibilities we've had for almost five years from him now. And you're still, you know, it, it's manifesting in what his biggest hits from this are heartless and blinding lights, which are blatant eighties glitz. Um, you know, not yeah. unlike past hits that he's had, like can't feel my face, but the, the, the deeper cuts on after hours still really hit and continue that vibe you're getting, you know, songs like faith and snow child and uh, that, scared to scared, to, scared to live. Right. Yeah. Uh, for, yeah. There's so many good ones. So yeah, I think it's easily his best work to date and probably will be a contender for album of the year. Um, you know, when the Grammys happen next yeah. year. Absolutely got to be up there. I think Dua Lipa might be up there too, at least if we were the people running the Grammys, because uh, her newest album this year, Future Nostalgia, and it should have been Future Nostalgia, mm-hmm. um, just absolute fire, maybe has the song of the year, in my opinion, on it. Um, you know, it's funny because we, we – I think I've been more into pop music over the last two or three years as we've been talking about more and more around the pod and seeing Dua just kind of like become the new Madonna is really fun to watch. And I think you really get that uh, future nostalgia. I know you're a big fan of it. Tell me why. Yeah. Well, future nostalgia is great because it continues the evolution of Dua as an artist that we saw since she started to blow up mm-hmm. in 2017 because it's complete dance pop and like 80s throwback, right? And we had known that she was dabbling in that and good at that with previous songs like One Kiss and Electricity. But to really actually make a whole album around that sign, uh, that, that sound, and, and deliver, I think, in such a way where it feels so cohesive and really does play to her strengths. Oh, yeah. um, you know, I, I still really love the album. And, you know, Don't Start Now, which came out last year, is kind of like one of those like perfect songs in this in this mold but you know once the album came out we also got levitating which yeah. is another song that just is completely infectious and, and and fantastic so yeah you know i think she gets a little i think deeper and um more introspective towards the end of this album and that does kind of come up abruptly maybe but kind of the whole, similar to the weekend the album knows what vibe it has and the artist uh, can deliver on that really well yeah, I completely agree with, with that assessment. I think just thinking about Dua moving forward as she kind of f- continues to transcend into hopefully that queen of pop, this just feels like an album where she can totally build off this. And she's been doing that, but this just feels like a more complete album than she's put out yet. And that's just, I think, a really good sign for her as she, as I said, continues to be this rising, huge international star. Um, someone else that's an international star, maybe not on Dua's Lipa any Dua Lipa's level anymore, but once was Lady Gaga dropping Chromatica a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, really strong concept album where you, we kind of see her returning to this uh, pure pop sound. You know, and uh, it's been a little while. You know, uh, she did Stars Born. We had. Uh, Joanne in 2016. Joanne, wow, um, the album with um, 
Dean was it Dean Martin? No. Uh, Tony Bennett. Tony that Bennett. Was even earlier, like 2015, 14. Yeah. So we've seen her exploring these these genres, but returning to form here on Chromatica, at least in terms of uh, pop form, I think this album's really strong. I think there's some really strong pop songs on here. And if you go back to a review, really the, the biggest nitpick I think we had was the song sequencing on the album didn't always seem to totally make sense. And I think uh, yes. if, if that's our biggest critique of the album, that's a really good sign for the quality on there. Yeah, Rain On Me comes up way too early, given the uh, <laughs> uh, sadder shit that comes later. Right. Um, yeah, you know, I was thinking about Lady Gaga, I was thinking about some other artists too, because 2020, we have seen a lot of acts come back after long layoffs. Mm. And Gaga actually is not even one of the longer ones I'm really thinking about. But in addition to her releasing a, a solo album again, you have Grimes coming back after five years, Justin Bieber, Sam Hunt. The Strokes, Tame Impala, yeah. and perhaps the most mind-blowing of all, Jay Electronica actually releasing his debut album. That's a lot of albums that were highly anticipated to various levels, all coming out. And of course, Little Uzi Vert, uh, not nearly as long a wait, but something that had a tremendous hype leading up to it, you know? Yeah. So, uh, and, and Fiona Apple as well, delivering after a very long time. So that's, it's pretty cool. It doesn't happen like that all the time. Yeah, that, that's really and good point. We are expecting I, Adele later in the year as well, which would be another long wait. That's a really good point. I didn't think about how like someone like Fiona Apple, uh, even Pearl Jam, even though that's maybe not uh, the best of the, <laughs> the long waits that came out, um, you, you had all these people dropping. I think actually um, Jay Electronica might be my biggest disappointment this year. I think it's almost unfair because the bar was set so high for him and yeah. I don't know if he ever could have dropped an album that would have lived up to the hype. Um, but because it's been so anticipated for so long for that album to be, I think just okay, you know, not, not Jay's best work, uh, a bit disappointing. Um, but I did feel like uh, those ones you mentioned, Fiona Apple and Tame Impala really stood out to me as very strong albums this year. I, I Tame, obviously one of my favorite bands, so I'm a bit biased, but uh, I think the way that they infuse like that eighties dance sound into their normal, like psycho psychedelic rock sound really just blended. Well, even if there's some long moments on the album, I think it's still really solid. And Fiona Apple, I, I think just continues to solidify herself as probably the best songwriter uh, out there right now, or at least in terms of lyrics and, and meaning uh, to capture the moment with fetch the bolt cutters. Um, that album is a quarantine album and I think empowerment album, just really impressive. Um, any, any other albums that stood out to you that you want to mention here real quick? Uh, yeah. So I really enjoyed BTS dropping map of the soul seven, mm. which was definitely their biggest and most successful album in the West to this point. I think probably the most successful album ever. Um, and I think it's a really accessible album to people that are uh, con concerned or confused about what the hell K-pop is, especially after uh, <laughs> K-pop stands have uh, been trolling the infiltrated Trump events. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, K-pop fans and TikTokers saving the world one, uh, one rally at a time. There was that Fox News clip where it's like um, 
fans of the band k-pop <laughs> it's like <laughs> god you guys are morons but uh yeah no in all serious i think B- bts have been able to cross over to the west without compromising the music they make and that's really evident on that album it's a long album there's a lot there not everything's that good but uh, i think the hit the, the highs of an act like bts or an act like blackpink that's beginning to gear up for an album later in the year as well um you really can't deny them and no. they appeal to everyone so shout out to bts yeah. yeah and i think another person you really can't deny is megan the stallion at this point dropping sugar um you know maybe not megan's strongest work you know but man uh there's some songs on there that are just classic her and they're catchy and badass and uh like whether it's captain hook mm-hmm. uh i mean p-i-t-c-h yeah, savage just, savage yep. just the whole album is uh and it's funny to reflect on that now because when we talked about that uh ep it was you know on the lines of her beefing with her label mm. and again getting paid and stuff like that right and then we were noting that it didn't look like the ep was going to sell all that well in its first week despite the pretty notable star that megan had already risen to coming off a really strong 2019 and then fast forward a few weeks later and savage is the number one song in the country and has a remix from beyonce um <laughs> tiktok really does make things happen pretty nice yeah. um you know, I think I just wanted to shout out one more person. Maybe we can do throw a couple out there that we liked, but we don't want to spend too much time on because uh, we are running a little bit long. Charlie XCX, I think, is the last one you mentioned who really captured this quarantine moment. Fiona Apple also similarly had a quarantine album, but um, how I'm feeling now from Charlie, just uh, such an impressive album in terms of her putting it together within a couple of weeks. Um, doing a lot of it, I think, it, it, remotely with her producers, writing it with fans. Um, it's just a real pleasure. And it continues to blend her futuristic pop sound with her, uh, I think, ability to be fairly vulnerable in her writing about things she's going through, things she's she's dealing with. And again, not every song on that album, I think, is is perfect or, or it's not. I think there's some skips but still really strong showing from Charlie. Definitely. Yeah. A few others I'd want to shout out and really like soccer mommy this year. Mm. Uh, like really like Kalani. Moses yes. Subney. Yeah. Um, Great. RIP pop smoke. His last project was really good. Um, meet, uh, meet the Woo volume two. And then you mentioned there's so many young rappers to, mm-hmm. to mention all of them, but I think my, my two favorites this year would be Polo G and Chef G Brooklyn, mm-hmm. Chicago, really repping and, Polo in particular, dropping Wishing for a Hero, which flips two box changes. And yeah. a song that feels uh, quite prescient at, at these times. Definitely. Just a couple more I wanted to shout out real quick. Perfume Genius, yeah. uh, love the new album. Christine and the Queens, their uh, La Vida Nuova uh, EP. Mm-hmm. Probably has one of the top songs of the year on it. Definitely. And a couple others that really shine. Um, and then 070 Shake. Uh, yeah. dropping the album very beginning of the year you know anticipated if you were tuned into the kids see ghosts uh album mm-hmm. from last year and uh really i think a strong first showing a lot of i have a lot of hope for for shake moving forward um i mentioned earlier jay Le- electronica might be my biggest disappointment do you have one album that's really let you down this year yeah, let me think uh 
I was quite let down by Justin Bieber's album. Yeah. You know, I mean, Justin Bieber's been in some uh, hot water of late due to some allegations, but, you know, going into that album, Changes, coming off of the ridiculous highs that Purpose had and the long wait that uh, you followed that and and the much publicized, uh, I think, reckoning with Bieber's personal life and coming to uh, a better mental health for him, just to deliver a really lukewarm album that just doesn't stick with you at all and really i mean there are some technical hits on that in terms of the numbers they've done like intentions but and yummy but like i i was really really let down by it yeah as you should be um i think i was probably most disappointed by the baby um just continues to feel mediocre to me doesn't really change things up or experiment enough to feel interesting for the amount of acclaim he gets at least mm. in my opinion number one song uh, of the country though rock star and it doesn't even have a good ride feature kind of perplexing to me yeah uh it's you know similar to nikki doing stuff with six nine right it's a yep. uh doesn't quality uh, doesn't always mean yeah, or I guess a, a lack of <laughs> yeah, quality sure. can produce numbers. Anyways, let's uh, let's wrap up. Uh, any last thoughts as we pull into the driveway? Uh, one other thing I forgot to mention: not only did we get Jay Electronica's album, we got confirmation that the Snyder Cut exists, and that oh, Warner yeah. Brothers is investing twenty, thirty million more dollars to deliver it next year on HBO Max. Wild shit. Yeah, twenty twenty really might be like the beginning of the end. We, uh, I don't know. Anyways, <laughs> uh, what do we got for next week, Dave? Anything? Yeah. So next week there's actually some more stuff, thankfully, which I think you know, just Fourth of July holidays, probably all this is. Yeah. But we have Joji's new album, Nectar. We have a new album from the Beths. We have Palm Springs on Hulu, the Andy Sandberg film that sold for quite a lot of money out of Sundance, and. There's some other things. There's the Old Guard on Netflix, which is a f- action, I believe, movie with Charlie's Throne. And then there's also Tom Hanks's movie Greyhound, which initially would have came out in theaters in May, but then was sold to Apple TV Plus and might be bad. There's some rumors about that, but that's coming. We're gonna yeah, watch it stuff too. and tell you if it's bad. So hit that subscribe button uh, for all the music we talked about. You can follow our playlist uh, Nostalgia Best of 2020 on Spotify. And uh, go on Twitter at NostalgiaPod. We'll catch you next week. Yeah.